Well, if you are joining with us this evening, we are in Ecclesiastes. And so tonight, I invite you to turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. And if you're reading from a pew Bible, that'll be found on page 671. And if you've missed some of our, our series in Ecclesiastes, we do encourage you to be able to catch up with it through our podcast, or you can catch it on YouTube or on Facebook. And it's wonderful to be able to chart through a book together. So Acts in the morning, Ecclesiastes in the evening. And we're going to begin to read here at Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 8 through to the end of chapter 6. This is God's word to us. And therefore we know that we can trust it completely. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 8. If you see the poor oppressed in a district and justice and rights denied, do not be surprised at such things. For one official is eyed by a higher one, and over them both are other higher still. The increase from the land is taken by all. The king himself profits from the fields. Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to, to the owner except to feast his eyes on them? The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of a rich man permits him to sleep. I have seen a grievous evil under the sun. Wealth hoarded to the harm of its owner or wealth lost through some misfortune so that when he has a son, there is nothing left for him. Naked a man comes from his mother's womb and as he comes, so he departs. He takes nothing from his labor that he can carry in his hand. This too is a grievous evil. As a man comes, so he departs. And what does he gain since he toils for the wind? All his days he eats in darkness with great frustration, affliction, and anger. Then I realized that it is good and proper for a man to eat and to drink and to find satisfaction in his toilsome labor under the sun during the days of his life. God has given him, for this is his lot. Moreover, when God gives any man wealth and possessions and enables him to enjoy them, to accept his lot and be happy in his work, this is the gift of God. He seldom reflects on the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with the gladness of his heart. I have seen another evil under the sun. And it weighs heavily on man. God gives a man wealth, possessions, and honor so that he lacks nothing his heart desires, but God does not enable him to enjoy them. And the stranger enjoys them instead. This is meaningless, a grievous evil. A man may have a hundred children and live many years, Yet no matter how long he lives, he cannot enjoy his prosperity and does not receive proper burial. I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. 
and comes without meaning. It departs in darkness, and in darkness its name is shrouded. Though it never saw the sun or knew anything, it is more rest than does that man. Even if he lives a thousand years twice over but fails to enjoy his prosperity, do not all go to the same place? All man's efforts are for his mouth, yet his appetite is never satisfied. What advantage has a wise man over a fool? What does a poor man gain by knowing how to conduct himself before others? Better what the eye sees than the roving of the appetite. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Whatever exists has already been named. And what man is, has been known, no man can contend with one who is stronger than he. The more the words, the less the meaning. And how does that profit anyone? For who knows what is good for a man in life? During the few and meaningless days, he passes through like a shadow. Who can tell him what will happen under the sun after he is gone. Well, uh, imagine you are waiting to meet someone in a local coffee shop, and two men come in, older men come in and sit at a table beside you. You can't help but overhear their conversation, and you work out that they are old friends who live some distance apart. They're meeting up for the first time this year. And you hear what they say. The country's a bit of a mess, isn't it, one says? Oh, it sure is. Don't see how things are going to change. So many people striking, systems so broken. Average man on the streets just getting screwed further into the ground. I have a funeral to go to tomorrow. A neighbor of mine, he worked hard all his life and was really well off. He retired just last week and he was having a wee lie on for a while and his wife went up to wake him up and he was dead. Never got to enjoy his retirement. Makes you think, doesn't it? That's terrible. Guy up our way did really well with his investments, put everything he had into property in Ukraine. He's, he's lost everything. Lost the house as well. Wife left him too. Makes you think, doesn't it? And the stories keep coming. By this stage, you've put down your book and you're just listening. <laughs> and and uh, one story after another comes and it's just one tough thing, an unexpected thing. And, 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 and they keep on saying, it just makes you think, doesn't it? Well, this is the sort of conversation that we're sort of having tonight with, uh, with Solomon. He, he, he tells us stories about life, and he really wants to make us think. He, he has already in this book got us to reflect on the brevity of life, that life is but a, a vapor. It's fleeting. It's hard to grasp. And yet, he's, he's not just like a, an old guy or two old guys as they're shaking their head looking into the cappuccino. He actually does know how to live. He's going to tell us, but, but it's, it's, it's a little way off in this book, and, and at this point in the book of Ecclesiastes, he's really wanting to show us the futility of other options. That's what he's doing at the moment. He has been down some of the dead ends in life. He knows that they are fruitless, and, but he knows how ingrained they are in us and so, he wants to peel them away from us so that we're ready to be convinced by the truth. 
And one of the things that he, he really knows that we're going to be tempted to do in life, and this is one of the reasons why this book is so up to date, he, he, he knows that he's, he, he knows our hearts and he knows we will be tempted to treat money and wealth and possessions wrongly. And so here in these chapters, he really pauses and he, he sort of says, I'm going to tell you some stories about money because I want you to, to not only see, but I want you to feel that it really is a, a useless place in which to put your hope. Well, our, our two friends in the coffee shop began by complaining about the government and the state of the company, uh, country, and that's actually where uh, Solomon starts to in verse 8. Uh, you see what he says, if you see in a province, as the ESV, the oppression of the poor and the violence of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter, for the high official is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over him. Now, there's some of these verses that are pretty hard to translate, and, and they can be taken in a couple of ways, but the presenting issue is clear. There are those who don't have money, and they're in a really tricky position in life. They're often oppressed. Just why is unclear here. He, he draws our attention to the fact that each level of, of government is overseen by a higher one up. So it might be saying that the plight of the poor guy is, is lost in the multiple levels of bureaucracy that there is, even in, in the ancient Near East. It's the system that's broken. Or, or, or it might be saying that, that that each one of these government officials is a little bit corrupt, and the one above him is a little bit more corrupt, and so on, and they all turn an eye, to, uh, a blind eye to the person below them so that, so that the poor guy just has nowhere to go. It can happen both ways, of course, but either way, the guy at the bottom of the heap is in real trouble. Verse 9 can be taken a couple of ways, too. It might be saying, as the ESV says, in contrast to all of this oppression, it's a wonderful thing, though maybe a rare thing, it's a wonderful thing when a country is ruled by a king who has the interests of the common farmer at heart, who understands that everything works better if the, if the guy who's producing the potatoes can make things work. But it might be negative. It might be, as the NIV has it, it's even worse when the guy at the top of the whole operation is taking his slice too. No one has any hope. Martin Luther talked about this and, and spoke of when the government crushes the man. Well, you don't have money. Things can be pretty tough. Good government is rare. I've seen that a lot, says the preacher. Lots of people's lives are miserable. But what about if you do get money? Well, well, then that's not really always the answer either because he's going to tell us a lot of stories about people with money whose lives are pretty miserable. First of all, there's a principle, verse 10. Who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. It's a principle that's often been repeated, hasn't it? It's illustrated by the Rockefeller quote when he was asked, how much is enough? And he said, just a little bit more. We said a few weeks ago that when, it, when a good thing becomes a God thing, it becomes a bad thing. When, when, it, when the, it becomes the object of our love, a God thing, it becomes a bad thing. And money is like that. It becomes a bad thing when we love it it's not bad in and of itself, but when we love it, it's a bad thing because then our, our desire for it is actually insatiable. I, I don't know if you know that little bit in, uh, 
in Narnia in the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe where Edmund is tempted by the, the queen with Turkish delight. I was never a big fan of Turkish delight, but, but Edmund loves it. And uh, the queen gives him this Turkish delight. And it's a picture of temptation. And it says, and the more he ate, the more he wanted to eat. And then it says this, probably the queen knew quite well what he was thinking, for she knew, though Edmund did not, that this was enchanted Turkish delight, and that anyone who had tasted it would want more and more of it, and would even, if they were allowed, go on eating it till they killed themselves. Now, that's temptation. That's our, our desire for what is inordinate, what is, what is not God. We, we will just gorge ourselves on what is not God until it kills us. But the teacher has more to say about getting wealthy. You see verse 11, he says, when goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? So, the more you have, the more people want a share of it, whether thieves or government or hangers-on. And it's not just that your money keeps you awake at night, uh, it's not just that, but your money keeps you awake at night. You see, sweet is the sleep of the laborer, verse 12, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. And that, that could be, as the NIV says, that it's sort of that you're lying awake worrying about the fact that you've invested in something and it might not work very well, or that you, you need more insurance because you might lose everything. Or it could be, as the ESV sort of says, it's your full stomach that's keeping you awake. You can afford lovely food, a great carryout, but you know what? Then at three o'clock, you're wandering around the kitchen looking for the Gaviscon. But if you've been digging holes all day, if you've been the laborer, Oh, you'll sleep okay. Might not have had much to eat. But when your head's on the pillow, it'll be all right. Let me tell you something else, says the preacher. Uh, riches can be easily lost. He goes on to tell another story. Let me tell you about a man up my way. He had lots of money, but he got involved in some scheme, and, and, and he lost it all. And he had nothing to pass on to his son, which is a good thing to pass stuff on. But money is fleeting. It's, it's part of what is passing away, and, and sometimes it passes away quicker than we would want it to. And anyway, he goes on, think of how it all ends. Walk up and down the graveyard. Some of those lying beneath your feet had millions, and some died in debt. But they're all here, side by side. Death is the great leveler because, as they say, there's, there's no pockets in a shroud. You, you can't take it with you. That's what he's saying. So, so, so he's saying, what's the point of, of chasing after wealth? It's, it's like chasing after the wind. As I was looking at, into this, I came across a a story, I'd heard that there was a, 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 someone who had been unearthed in, in Pompeii, and, and they had died with jewels. And, and, and uh, there was a, a story in a newspaper in 1911. Uh, workmen were digging for a foundation in a new building outside the area of the city. They found a body of a woman which had been petrified. Both hands were full of jewels. Evidently, the woman was fleeing from the eruption that overwhelmed Pompeii, carrying her valuables, and was buried. The jewels are excellently preserved. And so it goes on to describe them. 
What a picture, isn't it? Grasping at the things even as our life ends. It's a picture of so many in our world. And there's a picture here too of, of, of how even before we, we, we have to leave it all behind, the heart that is set on money can be desperately sick. You see in verse 17, moreover, all his days he eats in darkness and much vexation and sickness and anger. It's like Scrooge in the Christmas carol, counting all his money, but lonely and ill and afraid and paranoid. Satan loves to tempt us with things that destroy us. Feeds us poison, doesn't he? Enchanted Turkish delight. Well, we'll come back to, to the end of chapter 5 in a moment, but, but in chapter 6, he goes on, and, and he's, he's on his second coffee now, and, and he's really telling loads of stories. He's got lots of stories. Here's a man, chapter 6, who has everything, wealth and possessions and honor, fame, we would say today, an Instagram following. But you notice he's, he's, he's not happy. And why is that? Because the God who has given him his stuff has not given him the power to enjoy his stuff. Now, that's a hugely important thread that's running through, the, certainly chapter 6 and the end of chapter 5. So, so, the things that we have and the things and the power to enjoy them are, are different. Uh, Philip Reichen has a, a commentary on this, and, and the, the chapter title of this chapter is, is a, that satisfaction is sold separately. I think it's a great title. Satisfaction sold separately. You know, you go into a shop, and behind the counter, you'll see a sign that says, satisfaction guaranteed. It's a lie. Because neither the gift that you are buying or the goods that you are buying, nor the shopkeeper can give you satisfaction. That, the teacher says, comes from God alone. And God has wisely separated satisfaction from His gifts so that we will not be able to find satisfaction in the gifts apart from Him. And this man that he's telling us about at the beginning of chapter 6 does not have that. In fact, someone else enjoys his stuff, maybe an invader or an inheritor that he does not know, but, but he passes it on, never having enjoyed it. And then his, his best story yet is a little exaggerated. A man has a hundred children. Now, in biblical times, having Lots of children was a sign of God's favor and blessing, and there's implied wealth with this huge family. He has good things in life. You see that? And he has a long life. He lives many years. In verse 6, it says, even if he should live 2,000 years, twice the age of Methuselah. And he does not find satisfaction. Notice it says his soul does not find satisfaction. It's a little hint, isn't it? That, that the things may provide comfort to his body and his senses and stimulation to his mind and his intellect, but satisfaction comes from 
somewhere else. It's tied up with the soul. It's a spiritual thing. So, so here's a man that you see that is, is without God, or, or like so many of the people in these stories, he has put his, his stuff in the place of God, it seems, and so he cannot enjoy it. Maybe also the hint of the, the, the fact that he's not buried in chapter 6, verse 3. He's no burial. Is it that his children have forgotten him? Wouldn't be the first case that someone with lots of money has managed just to alienate all of their children, even if there are hundreds of them? Or has he died in a war? Or is it that such an end is a, a hint that he is somehow cursed by God, so that though he has everything, he has nothing? because he ends his life as a stranger to God, because the God he had was his money, which he has to leave behind. And the teacher reflects on all of this, and at this point, he's, he's probably moved off the cappuccino onto something a bit stronger, and he's sitting with the lights off and Leonard Cohen playing in the background, and, and, and he's, really, he's really pretty dark at this point. And, and uh, he makes this startling conclusion that the tragic little one who is still born. This is why this chapter is sometimes called the, one of the darkest in the Scriptures. The tragic little one who is still born, who never sees the light of day. Maybe, he says, maybe this one is in a better position. Better a life unlived than a life that's long with no satisfaction and an insatiably yearning soul. It may be that in heaven we will meet many who will say, I was spared the challenges of life and brought straight to my Father's side. So here we are, he says, verse 7, driven by our appetites, our appetites not really able to satisfy us, Wisdom doesn't insulate us from this. We find that our desires are often wandering. And there's, there's no use at the end of the chapter, he says, really, there's no use arguing with God about it. That, that's who the strong person is. And from a mere human perspective, there seems to be no answers because, humanly speaking, the answer to life eludes us. And again, from a human perspective, what happens after death is a mystery to us. Well, that's a bleak and cheery thought, isn't it? But remember what the teacher is doing here. He's, he's, he's saying, your heart, my heart, will, will tell us that a number of things, including wealth and money, is one of the answers to life. But he says, now, let's just look at it closely. Let's see what he does. Let's see how futile this particular avenue is, because I've been down it, he says. Phil Reichen quotes Randy Alcorn, and he, he sums up some of the little things that he said as he uh, mentions the various versions, uh, verses. This is what he says, whoever loves money never has enough. In other words, the more you have, the more you want. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. In other words, the more you have, the more people, including the government, will come after it. Uh, and what benefit are they to the owner except to feast his eyes on them? In other words, the more you have, the more you realize it does you no good. 
The sleep of the laborer is sweet whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of a rich man permits him no sleep. In other words, the more you have, the more you have to worry about. I've seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owner. In other words, the more you have, the more you can hurt yourself by holding on to it. Wealth lost through some misfortune. In other words, the more you have, the more you lose. Naked a man comes from his mother's womb, and as he comes, so he departs. He takes nothing from his labors that he can carry in his hand. The more you have, the more you leave behind. And these are sayings that we know. But what the teacher has done for us here is he has illustrated them for us. He's told us about the man up the road and the man down the road and the guy over there and the, the fellow that he read about in the newsletter. He says, I've seen these things work themselves out in people's lives. Believe me, friend, money is not the answer. But we skipped a bit. We skipped the end of chapter 5. And in the, the end of chapter 5, there's a, a strikingly different section. It's so different, in fact, that some people have thought it doesn't fit here, and it was sort of stuck in later on. But that's to misunderstand what's going on, because there's another way to live. Not with money as our God, but with God as our God. And you see the contentment that comes when we have God as our God? Let's read these verses. Verse 18, behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun for the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. Isn't this very different? It just feels entirely different. It's a picture of a contented person. And you see why he's contented? Because he has an appreciation that what he has is a gift from God. So his hope is not in the gift, but in the giver. The contented person, you see, finds joy in what is in front of him. It doesn't mean that he try, doesn't maybe try to climb through the company or apply for that new job or whatever. It's, it's, it's not to quench appropriate ambition, but it is to know that joy does not come in these things alone, nor in what we might get if we get what we've applied for, but it comes from God. And therefore, we can find contentment whether we have what we have now or what we might have. Because if He is the delight of our hearts, we will find delight, and indeed we must work to find delight in what is around us too. Jesus said, you remember, seek first His kingdom, and all these things will be given you as well. And we so often miss what God has put in front of us. I, I, was been, I found the, the, the screw tape letters on audiobook, and, and I, I listened to them this week. And, and uh, in one place, he, he, 
uh, you know, the theme of the screw tape letters, it's, it's the imaginary scene of a, an older demon writing to a younger demon to tell them how to tempt us and, and, and lead us away from the gospel and from Christ. And, and he says this, uh, he, uh, God has filled his world full of pleasures. He's complaining. God has filled these wor his world full of pleasures. There are things for humans to do all day long without his minding in the least, sleeping and washing and eating and drinking and making love and playing and praying and working. And everything has to be twisted, he says, before it's of any use to us. We fight under cruel disadvantages. Can't you, can't, haven't you heard? Haven't you heard the devil whispering this to you? Look at what's in your life. It's not enough. You need more of that. God's withholding stuff from you. This is not real living. If you have something else, then you'll be satisfied. You've heard that, haven't you? But rather the Word says, God has given you what you have. He may have more for you. Here it, it shows that, that God chooses to give some wealth. But if you won't find joy in what is in front of you, you won't find joy in what He gives you. You'll not find joy in anything. Don't miss His goodness. And, and such contentment, you see, whether we have much or little, it can sustain us through all sorts of things. That's that last verse, isn't it? For he will not much remember the days of his life, verse 20 of chapter 5. He will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. You just imagine meeting two people in another coffee shop, and, and both have had tough things to deal with, and, and one is just defined by those things. And in modern terms, they would perhaps see themselves as the victim. Their, their, their difficulties just mark out their life and have shaped their existence. And the other has come through equally challenging times, maybe more so. But they've given themselves to finding joy in their circumstances. Not giving thanks for all circumstances, but giving thanks in all circumstances. And because they have sought God in those things, they've sometimes forgotten the difficulties altogether. And you walk away and you think, which one would I rather be? So you see what the teacher is doing. He's saying, look at all the things we could throw ourselves into apart from God, money and sex and power and reputation. I've, I've tried them all. Come with me. Have a look. Let's have a look at money. Doesn't really work, does it? I could tell you stories about all these other things too, he's saying, because only when we put our hope in the Lord do we find the one who really gives us satisfaction? Well, it's a word for us, isn't it? Let's pray together. Lord, there's no doubt that looking at a world that would seek to banish you is a dark thing indeed. But we thank you, O Lord, that tonight you bring light into our darkness, and you show us another way that we might find hope in God alone. 
that we might find joy in you and what you have given to us. Lord, we thank you that with you there are pleasures forevermore. We pray, Lord, that you will restore to us the joy of our salvation. Hear us, Lord, we pray, for we ask in Jesus' name.